Hey there, gang. Welcome to Decipher the Media, the podcast where we talk about all things in the form of media and art. It's been a while since I've actually done this podcast, so if you've listened to it before, welcome back. If this is your first time, thank you for listening. Pretty much the mission statement of this podcast is that I just want to you know, sit down with a couple um, different creative types for each episode and just go over, you know, what they do in their profession and just sort of their ideas, pick their brains on their experiences in the field and their views of the world and just how it all sort of mashes together and how the creative process, you know, influences society as a whole. That's one of the, the big big things that we uh, touched upon on this latest episode. Um, I believe this is the third time that he's been on. My guest is Ian Altenbaugh. He, we worked together many times in the past, and we've done a lot of uh, film projects together. To get the podcast rolling again, I would invite him on and just sort of ask him what's what's on his mind in regards to big budget movies, uh, movie studios, um, um, what uh, the latest film project is that he's working on, um, and then just uh, the process that he uh, goes through with like breaking down the script of the film, the variety of work um, that he's done behind the camera, and then uh, just uh, talking about filmmaking as a career. It's interesting to break down what goes on, you know, in someone who is in this career. It was very interesting to just sort of hear his take um, on everything um, in in the field of filmmakings. And then we sort of talked about, you know, going off of film theory as a whole, um, what film invokes from an audience how that relates to storytelling, how that relates to art, how that influences society as a whole. Um, what is social media doing? How is it sort of shaping you know, how we as a society see things and how we as a society you know, are moving forward in the future? So it was a really, really interesting conversation with a lot of powerful messages. And then we just kind of get into some silly stuff, talking about um, CrossFit, ways to capitalize on CrossFit. And then we kind of wrapped up uh, just talking about we actually uh, worked on a 48-hour film project together. Um, that was over this summer. Uh, I was the director of photography on it. He was the director as well as the, the producer of it. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was the uh, first time we uh, had worked together in uh, quite a while, actually. Um, and then so after that, I just kind of was like, hey, come back on the podcast. Uh, we'll get this ball rolling again and just talk about talk about the project, talk about filmmaking, talk about whatever comes to mind and and just uh, have a little bit of fun with it. And with that, let's go ahead and get the episode rolling. So this is uh, Decipher the Media number 10 with Ian Altenbaugh. Enjoy. How the hell did we get so depressing so quickly? Oh, I don't know. 
I can make anything depressing super quickly if you want. <laughs> Just throw me out a topic. I can make it miserable and depressing for you. Um, why was I going to say butter? Can butter. You make butter depressing? Butter's a pretty tasty thing. Yeah. It's I mean, it's delicious, but if you think about, you know, the cows that are gradually having the nutrients drained out of their body just to provide a fat spread for your um, your, your bread and, and, yeah. and a source of fat for your biscuits. Um, <laughs> or not to mention all the people that, you know, the cholesterol, just cholesterol in general kills. Um... Yeah, I mean, butter, I guess, is nice. It's also, you know, it's, it's just butter. <laughs> yeah, like, 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 I mean, can, can you really... It's, it's more, like, tonally depressing how you're, like, describing it. Yeah, it's but I mean, like, can, yeah, can you really butter. make butter something it's that just... is, like, cheerful and pleasant? It's, it's, I mean... Have you ever seen the movie Butter? What the fuck is that? Okay, so it's this movie that... Um, let's see, who's in it? Olivia Wilde. Is it about making stuff out of butter? Yeah. Yes, I've heard of that. Uh, that should be reason to be depressed. It's a No, it's a great movie, actually. I love that movie. Interesting. And uh, Hugh Jackman has like a cameo in it. <clears> as like a Carl's, car, eh, car salesman. And it's just like one of the best roles I've ever seen him in. If you think about it, and this is coming from somebody who loves their dairy. Yeah. Like, the whole concept of dairy, like buttermilk, yogurt, cream, all that stuff. The way it's generated is just absolutely horrifying. You're taking this cow that's, like, been bred specifically just to make this one thing its entire life. And then you're, like, trapping it in a stall and hooking it up to this machine. And you're just going to have all this, like, nutrients sucked out of it. And then it gets sent out into a closed field to eat some grass, only to like rinse and repeat in a couple hours or the next day. Or... Imagine if they did it that to people. Yeah, yeah. Or they did well. They did it in like what Mad Max. They had like like. Well, I mean, they basically did that in Mad Max. Yeah. Yeah, they just had like women hooked up to like milking machines. Yeah, that was really horrifying. <laughs> that was like, I remember like in the first ten minutes of the movie, I'm like, wait how how much of this movie is going to be this this is a two and a half hour long movie and if like like oh no but it ended up just being a small part like enough yeah. to like make you not make you understand just how bad of a character and give you motivation to like want to have these women like rescued and stuff yeah um, mortem joe was an interesting villain i really enjoyed his uh yeah um, I was kind of expecting like a big reveal where he was just going to be the same villain he was in the first one, like the actor, because the actors both right. Guys. Well, but I mean, Mad Max is weird like that because, um, like in Mad Max two and three, that dude who like rides the like little like prop plane is in both of them, but he plays like a different character. Oh yeah, that's right. But I he's like about that. the same character. But, but he's like a different character, right? And That's so I think like the and I think the idea that George Miller had behind Mad Max was that they uh, make it the the stories are sort of like fables; they're being told by somebody else about Mad yeah. Max and stuff. So, so like none of them are really connected, 
like it's they are, but they, they are, but they're like an urban legend or like yeah. a uh, oral fable that you know it gets changed and manipulated every time it's told. Yeah, because I remember the conversation came up when that came out, where like he 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 like sees a little girl and everyone's like, oh, that's his daughter. But then people are like, wait, no, he had a son in the first one, and then it's like, well, maybe it's like we don't really know, right? You know. And, and maybe it just doesn't it's just don't don't worry about it yeah or it's just, just, just like just it's a, it's a little movie. detail maybe we shouldn't try and connect the plots of them I heard they're they're just finally starting to sort out the legal issues and make the yeah I read this weird I read a couple different things I read like something about how in the movie reportedly didn't make money but it did make money and it didn't make money because they didn't want to have to pay out like on some deal but they, they wouldn't be able to make a sequel if it didn't make money and so there was there was this whole like, yeah like it was all about money convoluted basically. thing about the bottom line and um i think there was like an ownership issue as well oh was there um like between like George Miller and the studios and stuff. Yeah. So I'm I don't I'm assuming it. I mean I I guess it's a matter of how much motivation does like George Miller and his team have to like sort things out because I mean and how much motivation does the studios have to sort it out? Who even owns it now? Like. Is it like Miramax or something? Well, they don't exist anymore. Oh really? Yeah. Uh. I thought Miramax for some reason. And like Fox is is owned by Disney now. Like like it's it's probably either Sony or Disney. Maybe Warner Brothers. I think those are the only three companies that, that exist now. <laughs> like I I'm not even joking. Yeah, no, I I know. It's it's really sad. It's just every every th- corporation is just becoming a mega corporation at this point and Praise be to our, our lords. I know everyone was happy when, like, Disney bought Fox so that everyone's like, yeah, now we can get X-Men. I'm like, no, there's, that's, you're, you're missing yeah. how this is bad. <laughs> I mean, I love, don't get me wrong, I love that the X-Men, and more importantly, like, the Fantastic Four, or, like, I mean, X-Men, I think, was executed well for a period, and then it wasn't, and then it was yeah. again for a period as well. So, I mean, in, in X-Men's 20-year run, there were, like, several three or four movie runs where there was some quality stuff there, but... It was very hit or miss, definitely. But, but, I mean, there were some good movies um, that, admittedly, I, I had difficulty watching now for other reasons. Um, but I mean, even now, I, I enjoy the James Mangold, Wolverine, and Logan. Those are both like really entertaining comic book movies. Yeah. That are pretty true to the source material, um, or at least the character of the source material. Um, yeah. I, I enjoyed Days of Future Past a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was another good one. First Class was pretty good. I thought. I I liked ha- I liked parts of First Class a lot. Um. I thought the end of first class was kind of like, yeah, but yeah. I enjoyed the first two thirds. I two thirds of first class, uh, quite quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I mean, like, so I mean, I'm all right, like, if there's, if that property just stays where it is, but Fantastic Four, we need, we need a lot of, like, characters like Galactus, and there's other, like, Silver Surfer, if you want to, like, tell stories about the Eternals, and stuff like that, like, right. if you want to, like, have, like, tell stories about Adam Warlock, there's, like, there's, like, an overlap in, like, Thor and, um, the Guardians of the Galaxy and Fantastic Four's world, and, like, we were missing out that big chunk, and I'm just kind of like, oh. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But at the same time, if only it was just those properties that Disney bought, and then everybody could just be like, yeah, cool. Yeah, Fox was screwing them up. Let's just, you know. Yeah. Have like, that, and nerds can rejoice. But and like it, actually buy the properties, not like make a deal with the company and then to own all of Fox's properties. Yeah, and and that's and that's just crazy. Like um, see, so yeah, like Disney owns Aliens now, for mm-hmm. example. <laughs> and they were speculating that maybe that the Disney has no interest in like making another like alien movie <coughs> or something like that because so, it just doesn't seem appealing or something. So I heard the Neil, the Neil Blomkamp aliens movie. Um, I think Neil Blomkamp's making a new Robocop movie. I think that got, he's out of that project now already. Yeah. Oh yeah. He keeps like, like, signing on to do these movies and then I don't know probably has like a dispute with like whoever like the executive producers or whoever and just like drops out oh wow yeah come on man come on Neil I want to see you make sweet R-rated action sci-fi yeah cause he really hasn't done much since what uh Chappie Chappie yeah Chappie was a pretty well-made movie i wasn't like totally i thought it had issues yeah it definitely had it. I don't know, it was my least favorite of like the three like yeah. original movies that he did but in terms of like the effects work like holy hell like basically they just had somebody running around and like a mocap suit but they didn't really do any mocap they just <clears throat> they didn't the, the mocap it was just like shot on location like they just used him for reference and just animated over him like frame by frame oh really yeah and it ah. just it just looks that good like they just yeah i wouldn't have s- think that w- would work no it like, will given normally it would look like shit if you animate like you have to be like neil blomkamp is a really good animator and like here his team is like top notch and like that's why it works because i'm pretty sure they did the same thing with district nine like instead of like green screening and using like mocap and and, like kind of like blending practical with cg the way like they do like with marvel films and stuff they just like shoot everything practically shoot reference stuff and then just like rotoscope and animate Hmm. like frame by frame yeah which is just nightmarish I just can't imagine how, yeah. Yeah, the sheer number of hours spent. Um, But that's why his movies, that's why the CG in his movies looks a little bit more, like, real. 
yeah than it, than other movies is because like instead of taking shortcuts with animation by using like motion capture and like doing a 3d rendering and recreation of something they're just basically hand drawing that shit to just make it look really good frame by frame it's crazy but sometimes yeah this technology's come a long way they did something similar with blade 2049 or whatever it was they shot oh oh yeah yeah a lot of that movie was shot like practically with reference stuff and then they just used that as like a palette to an- or a canvas to animate over um it's just crazy Okay, so they're, like, putting the pieces together, basically. Like, practically shooting these pieces and then sort of... Yeah, so, like... Piecing them together. Yeah, like, so what they'll do is, is, um... All the light... So if there's an effect shot and it's, like, a projection, like, some sort of hologram, that light from the hologram is going to interact with the actor and the subject. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to film that light... You're going to film this, the actor, and then that light's going to come up. Maybe the hologram isn't going to come up, but the light that that hologram creates is going to come up. And then within that frame, frame by frame, they animate the hologram aspect of it using, like, the light as sort of, like, the reference as to where it is. Okay. And um, we're going to end up doing something similar to, like, that on um, Friday night. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's gonna be interesting. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, Yeah, you want to talk about that project? Um, that is. So yeah, I I don't want to I don't want to say too much about it. I like I think I'm more comfortable coming back and talking about it once we've wrapped. But little taste. Um, uh, I am the director of photography on this. indie project called uh turtle island um you steve or the gaffer as well as the b cam off right um i would describe it as a uh drama um i i i hate calling in a movie that takes place in the 90s and mid 2000s a period piece but that was like 15 to 20 years ago so i guess oh now i is, feel old yeah so i guess it is technically a period piece in that regard as well um but it, it just it opens you know in in a sort of mysterious way with a woman kind of disappearing in a car and then we we recount the years you know following that and uh, as well as before that and after that and you know. yeah but I would say that's it's about all I'm at liberty to say about yeah. the story. It's a bad, I'd say that's a pretty good rundown because I honestly haven't like really read the whole script, <laughs> even though I. That's fine. You're you're here to do what I say <laughs> on set, so. I'm just like yeah. I just read what I what I need to know, and just like because I I just I, I don't know. I always get a script, and I'm like okay, I'll I'll read it eventually. And then, like, the day comes, I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't read the script. And I'm like, so as long as I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, since we're being honest, that's happened to me in the past. I, I've done that in the past. And um, without any, with saying this without any irony, I, I recently uh, just started reading the scripts, like, in the last, like, 
two years, I started, like, really sitting down and breaking that shit down, like, mentally, and, um, it really helps. I mean, yeah, like, I, I, I mean, I have, I've been going through, like, scene by scene for yeah, this, I and, know, like, I'm just being a jerk. I, I, yeah, I just, like, like, I was just, you know, just to save time, I'm just like, yeah, I'll just look at, you know, what we're shooting today, and just look at the scenes, and, It's like, always important to do that as well. So... Um, because I, I do that as well. I, I've read the script, start to back, start to finish, front to back, maybe four or five times. But I have like read different chunks quite a bit. Yeah, like quite a bit in some cases. Um, whereas there's other cases that were scenes I know that we haven't that we're not going to be shooting for a couple more weeks. I maybe haven't read those scenes as many times as i've read the scenes that i know we're gonna be shooting yeah next week or two um part of that's just like uh the way you know the the shoot is structured we're primarily shooting on weekends and um i didn't have a ton of prep time i had about a month of prep time so um, yeah it's just i have to kind of like it's definitely been sort of spread the workload out a little bit um it's been oh, yeah. a busier time. I don't know what just happened, but all of a sudden I've just been like hit with like all sorts of projects and stuff. So, me too, man. I'm not complaining. Um, in fact, I need to line up a couple more days of work here in the next two weeks. But it's like, I um, it's definitely the bu- busiest August I've ever had. Yeah, which is really nice. Um, August is typically been a down month for me like professionally and financially and it's quite the opposite this time around which is a nice change of pace (laughs) what's it like for you to like kind of work from you know on a freelance scale as opposed to having like a steady job and um i think it's a lot more so working as a freelance person like working as your own own boss or whatever I mean first of all you're not your own boss instead you have like a million different bosses you have like all these different clients who are your bosses right and so I think there's and as a society we've really kind of like shifted towards this like gig economy I think the American dream has shifted Um, the American dream used to be we you get a job somewhere and you kind of work your way up to the top you work or you work your way up to like a position where you're making good money right you you know and you get that job and you just keep that job and i think now the american dream is much more like you get to a point where you can go into business for yourself i think that's the new american dream and i think that it's born out of necessity we don't we're not able to like you know, a lot of a lot of times, jaw like just. I think uh, out of uh, you you, it's hard to pay bills when you're only making ten or fifteen dollars an hour. Yeah. And so you know you need to. For a lot of people, the only way that you're going to make more money than that is to, go into business for yourself. Um, speaking for myself. I work freelance and gig like gigs because that's just the way the industry I work in operates. Yeah. Um. Like movies generally have between a six week and like four month run. So uh 
that's like the amount of work maximum that you might get in terms of job security and I generally don't I'm not quite at the point where I get staffed on shoots just yet so um I do even more bouncing around than that like yeah in the past two weeks I've worked on um a TV show a movie a commercial and an indie short film so I mean at least you're getting a good variety right right um and, and I'm not complaining but it, it's just one of those it's uh you have to constantly be on the move and constantly yeah. be on the hunt yeah and, um, I'm sure it can get tiring to kind of yeah jump from project to project in, in, in looking for a job the one thing that they tell you whenever you go into freelance and you're just like ah whatever but is looking for work is like a job unto itself and um i mean in the, unless i'm like dutifully employed in, in that like i'm good for the next four weeks i'm spending a couple at least a few a few 20 30 minutes a day if not like maybe an hour a day like looking for work yeah you know, looking for upcoming days upcoming gigs and stuff that just to make sure that you know whenever the stuff that i'm currently working on is done i have stuff lined up after that yeah because you never want to go through a period when you're just yeah not making any money or yeah and you and you also don't know when you're not gonna get you never know when you're gonna get like sick or injured and you're not gonna be able to work for a while and you need that like try and bank as much money as you can you don't yeah that's true you don't know when like those jobs are going to dry up either like um if they decide to pull the tax credit one year and all of a sudden it's like shit i have a few months to figure everything out you know Mm -hmm. um but i but i i do enough i'm a diverse enough filmmaker though i think i'm able to like make it work pretty well i do like I'm working on my set electrician union days uh, yeah. for IRC. Um, but I also do a lot of, like, camera stuff and editing stuff. So, I mean, around here in Pittsburgh, I think you have to be multifaceted, um, at least yeah. more so than you might in, um, like, if you live in, like, New York or L.A., where you can just be, like, focused on one thing. Plus, yes. I enjoy doing a lot, a lot of different things. Like, uh, yeah. you know, running camera is fun. The more I learn as an electrician as in, in lighting, the better director of photography I can be. And yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. You know, I, that's why I like to work different jobs as a whole. But, you know, I'm, you know, as you might know, I, I not, you know, I, I don't have a career in, like film or anything like that or doing video stuff but i still like to do it on the side right you know get enjoyment out of like doing different aspects of it so you know it's always been an interest of mine at one point i did think about you know doing a career in it but it's just like it's a lot of work and i just i didn't know if i was really really up to it yeah i mean on it yeah like i didn't I didn't like make that decision to pursue filmmaking as a career until I was, um, <clears throat> I think like 29. Yeah. So, I mean, a 
up until then I was like working as a hockey writer and it was very much like a hobby of mine. So I mean Yeah, and that's stuff happens. Yeah, and it was like it was a career move for a while, but then it was like, well, I wasn't I wasn't getting the, the jobs I really wanted and I was just kind of getting pigeonholed into like doing stuff that I really didn't like, like weddings and sports and stuff right. like that. And I was just like, like I, I didn't want to be known for that. Right. And I just kind of like pulled myself out of that whole aspect of it. And, you know, now I just sort of, you know, I, I jump on projects that just come my way and I'm just can kind of building that up on the side from there and you know i mean if something happens you know great if not you know i have a you know i have a plan right i know what i'm doing and right trying to sort of i don't know expand my career and other aspects well you like to write too yeah as well and and that's one thing that like it's, it's it's goddamn next to impossible to do like professionally mm-hmm. um you you have to s- supplement that income in some way, shape, or form. Unless you're like living in L.A., and even then, there's a lot of professional screenwriters who are also doing other things like teaching or yeah, it's um, a definitely like it, it's just it's just one of those like. I just applied for like a position within the company I work as a technical writer, but it's not just a technical writer. You can't just be a technical writer. They have, you know, it's also like you're doing other stuff too, because it's like, I don't know. I guess they can't justify yeah. you just doing writing. Because they don't want to pay you <laughs> more. Yeah. Pro- I mean, yeah, there could be a lot of, it's always about the bottom line. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, um, so it's you know, I understand the game they're trying to play there, and yeah, you know, I, yeah, I get it. And I mean, I teach part time as well. Um, it's not like like right now. What's nice is I am like working, like I'm not teaching, and I'm working full time, um, making movies, and it's nice to like do that because I do have a lot of like time to myself to like work on some stuff that you know i haven't um absolutely I just want to work on um like I, I i need to finish the the final edit of our 48 hour film project video and oh yeah i want to see that I was, I was hoping maybe i can finish that up tomorrow um literally just the final audio mix down and then oh yeah and then it'll be to the credits and it'll done. be ready to go yeah oh uh, yeah um, what do you want to do with that then just gonna throw it up on YouTube. Throw it on YouTube. Um, yeah. Just be like, hey, everybody. Even though we didn't get nominated for any awards, or didn't get any awards, um, <laughs> here it is, and I think it's pretty great. You know, and I yeah, think it was a pretty great I movie. It was great. I, I think we um, we had a very kind of distinct, uh, unique creative vision for our project. Yeah. Like, it stood out in that regard. There was like. We weren't just like like reverting to tropes the way mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of um and, and it's not to talk shit, but like when you have a really limited amount of time to like write something, um you end up like yeah. falling on shorthand 
basically like narrative shorthand and which is like you know tropes and cliches and stuff and yeah i think we did a good job of like staying away from that and making something that was kind of like unique and weird but also like weird but accessible like you cannot you can that's not so weird that you're just like i don't know what the fuck that was yeah um do you ever see my the first 48 i ever did i didn't Oh, that was back when I was still doing, like, group lead on, like, projects and stuff, and we uh, did one for, it was, like, a horror short, and I thought it was, like, it turned out pretty well, because we, I don't know, we really shaped it around, um, you know, the, the constraints that come mm. with the 48, and I thought it turned out really well. I'll have to send you a link sometime, just... Yeah, I'm interested in seeing it. Yeah, it was just like, I thought it turned out like the best out of any of our, any of the ones I've shot in the past. I mean, I've, I've done, I've had some good groups and we've had some great ideas, but that one I think was shaped together the best because, you know, the resources we had just, it, it all aligned just right. Right. You know, and <laughs> And ironically enough, it was the one that didn't make it by the deadline <laughs> because, um, yeah, there was there was just some issues with like the the uh, the cut that we had, and we just decided not to submit that. Right. And you know, figure just do it right and just like cut it cut it together right. So. Right. Yeah, I um, I don't know if I'm gonna do do it again next summer. Yeah. I'm gonna very much play it by ear. Um it was uh for me, like I turned down and this isn't like a humble brag or anything. I turned down like four different jobs. Well at the time I didn't have any job offers for that weekend, but <laughs> between me between the month of when I entered and the contest, I turned down four different job offers. And, um, it was just, like, like, I'm talking, like, union camera gigs and, like... Isn't that always the case? Like, yeah. And you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be free, and then you get that, and then something better comes along. Well, not, like, right. that, but, you know, p- paying gigs, you know, stuff that you can, like... Right. And so, if I do it next year, maybe I'll form a team, but we won't... I'm not going to make any anything official until the last minute. Yeah. Just so I don't. So if I too end up booking a gig, I can be like, "Hey guys, sorry." <laughs> um, well, yeah. even then, like maybe you could like pass it on to like someone right. else and just like exactly. like you can the team can still as a whole do the right. project, but you know right. if you have to back out, you know. But um, yeah, because I was just I was just like, God damn it. Um, but I mean, it it worked out. Um, it was a movie I'm pretty proud of, and I hadn't. Hadn't directed anything um, with, like, you know, a lot of the people involved in the project for a while. I hadn't worked with a lot of, every, like, basically everybody there I hadn't worked with for a little while. So it was nice to yeah. kind of just, like, get together with some people and work with them and yeah. meet, meet some new people as well. And yeah, there was, that experience was really, really great. I think it's my favorite part about doing these, like, film, these short films is, like, just getting to meet the, the people that well see people i haven't seen in a while but also right. meet people that you know and and kind of get 
you know, their take on things and how right. they, they work and how, you know, what's, you know, how, they, what their creative visions are. And right. Just sort of how that can align with what you're doing. And just see what you can, I don't know. I'm always trying to like learn from people. See, yeah. See yeah. It's, it's, it's always a learning experience. I think the best way is just communicating with the yeah. people around set. To, see, see how people do things. Yeah. And, and um, and, and I mean, also it's, um, it's nice to um, learn from other people's mistakes than your own as well. So, you know, like, right. Like, um, anytime you're working in like some sort of subserv- subservient role on, on a set, basically you're not a producer or a director. Um, people are going to make mistakes. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. And it's, um, those are great learning experiences, not just for those people making the mistakes, but for the people who are like under them, who are like, you know, kind of experiencing the results of those mistakes firsthand. Mm-hmm. And um, you kind of just have to take all the good and the bad and just like learn, take whatever you can from all of it and stuff. And Yeah, I think that's the best teaching tool. Like uh, I, I've learned more. I, I've, I've probably said this before and probably even on this podcast, but like I've learned more like in the, you know working in the field like after i graduated school than what i learned in school so me too the i would say the only thing i learned a lot of like the basic theories and principles in school yeah um i learned what what the call of medium shot and a wide shot and a close-up shot i learned yeah learned a lot of film theory nonsense that doesn't really matter as a filmmaker but it's, it's it's certainly helpful in talking about and dissecting cinema um I, I think a lot of that like film theory is just nonsense as a uh storyteller i mean you, you can have kind of yeah like a broad approach like you you, you could say i want to like deconstruct the superhero movie and do it vis-a-vis a western um, and we'll draw from like old man Logan as our inspiration. Like you can kind of do like some broad stuff with it, but um, I feel like if you're trying to make something that's like, oh, I'm gonna make an homage to like 1930s like noir films, it, 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 the movie oftentimes ends up falling flat because you're so you, your your goal isn't to make a good movie; it's to make an homage to a good movie. Um, and so you, you end up just getting caught up with the whole idea of like, I don't know. I, I feel like you know it's, pri- your, your priorities are misplaced. As yeah, a no, I I understand. Yeah, it's just the, the kinda, most of, you kind of have to take those theories with like a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah. The most like, important thing as a filmmaker, if if you're a filmmaker, the most important thing that you should be doing is entertaining me. Right. And when I say entertaining me, I mean engaging me, making me look up from my phone. Yeah. Force me to look up from my phone and and force me to like keep it down. And and if you're doing that as a filmmaker, then you have uh, succeeded. Yeah. I mean, not everyone is going to be a Tarantino or, you know, a um no. Coen Brothers Nor or whatever. Should they be? No, um, and and they shouldn't. You know, they should gives them their unique flavor is that what what makes Tarantino movie a Tarantino movie is that it's Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Um same with Coen Brothers. They have their own 
unique vision. Um, right, and you know, I'm sure there's like theories you can create from watching those movies, or you know, a, a sort of you know how they approach the the me- or what their method of storytelling is but that doesn't mean you have to follow suit to create something that's right you know a work of art or you know however you yeah. envision it and you should also be aware of your um influences like i i don't know who said this i've heard this i've heard a bunch of people say this but i don't know who this or i don't know who i can attribute this quote to but um like if you're a filmmaker, it's it, you're whatever you, whatever movie you're making is is kind of a combination of the last like five to ten movies you've watched. Okay. And that's or five to ten store books and movies you've like watched or read. Like that's the story you're telling. Oh, that's um, interesting. And it, it's not a conscious thing. It's just how your brain works. Um, hmm. We we. So, so you know, if you think about how, how the human brain thinks, we, um, if somebody is telling you about somebody that you've never met before, you've never seen before, you don't have a uh, visual reference for that individual. Yeah. So, so you end up creating a visual reference for that person. Okay. You know what I mean? Like yeah, Whenever yeah. somebody's talking about somebody, you don't know what they look like. They can even describe them to you. And how you formulate that image in your head might not be how they really look in person. Yeah, but you create um, that picture. It's right, like you create this visual reference that you need in order to like comprehend this individual. Um, just in order to like place them into situations um, to create more visual references for yourself. So we build these visual references from things that we've experienced. Um, and it, I, I think, in, in in that in that storytelling, in a nutshell, when when you are, when you're writing, you are. It's 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 as much about what you're writing as as what you're not writing, um, and what you're not writing, is filled in by the reader's, you know, experiences. Like they use their own references to kind of fill in those blanks and create like a shorthand for themselves and I think like that that's a that's a that's an important element of filmmaking um I don't remember I don't remember the point that, that I had for it but um I mean it's all good advice like yeah it's good good to, good to know for you know someone who yeah yeah so anyway so yeah as a storyteller um you you, you once you understand that you are taking a person's experiences and baggage and they're projecting their own experiences on to whatever kind of like negative space that you're putting into the story that's when you can really kind of harness um the power of storytelling because you can like make a person feel a certain way like knowing that a lot of people using like character archetypes uh is like the most obvious example like or an anti-hero uh, knowing that most people are going to feel a certain way about a certain character, you can then like do something to kind of make somebody feel, force people to feel a different way. Um, you know, um, challenge people's preconceived notions about something. Being a, a better way of putting it. Yeah. Um, but I think I think I don't know. Uh, 
storytelling is really cool, I think, because you're able to, in art in general, is because you're able to, like, manipulate people. Um, you're able to make them feel a certain way without their, uh, without them necessarily being, I mean, they're make they're opening themselves up to it. Yeah. But you're also kind of forcing them to feel a certain way and that they don't necessarily know that they're going to feel that way going in, into it. Do you mean like, when you say people, do you mean... You know, the person, the consumer of the art, whether it's uh, a painting okay. or a movie. Yeah, so someone who's yeah. know, seeing this from the outside. Yeah. They're looking at this this art, piece of art, and they're, you know, you're able to force that sort of emotion onto them. Yeah. It's like someone who goes to an art show, like a, you know, a... Um, some you know paint with paintings on display you know that each painting is supposed to as they say you know invoke some sort of emotion right and that can be said the same can be true for any form of art movies books yeah i think all art um the goal is to invoke an emotion or some sort of response from the viewer or the consumer of it um, and as soon as you're able to like kind of understand how people's inner mechanizations work and mm-hmm. how we're constantly categorizing and making judgments and making mental shortcuts and creating like mental shorthand and when you realize that you can kind of like use that to manipulate yeah the consumer and uh, and it can be used as a powerful tool too yeah, absolutely like, um, for good or evil right. Right. I mean, there's a, 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 you, I know, you know, people can make movies or documentaries to persuade someone in, you know, one direction about a specific opinion. Like, say, I mean, that's the goal of the documentary is to well, yeah. just basically take a position and pers- persuade people or show both positions and make people force people to take a position. But you're mm-hmm. all, you're always the goal is to persuade. Um, even if it's funny, the goal is to persuade somebody to laugh that's true to feel a certain way you're always persuading the viewer to feel yeah. a certain way either you know it can be good or bad but even escapism um and i i feel like escapism gets a bad rap in the artistic community because well, a lot of it's trash but a lot of it's just kind of derivative and generic but even escapism why it's so popular is because it evokes a sense of wonderment and um, um, otherworldliness. What's an example of like escapism? Comic book movies. Okay. Um, so something that's not part of re- essentially part of reality, right? But something, something that isn't making you feel bad about the world. Um, okay. You know, something that's isn't, that, that's that's there. You're watching this content to escape from the rea- from reality for a little bit. Yeah, kind of turn off your it's brain. It's just like you know, the world is a terrible place. Everything, everyone's well, dying. Yeah, and, and we all people are, are dying. People are shit. And right, and well, not all of them, but well, most of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, two thirds of the people are average or below average intelligence. That's a lot of bad ideas floating around in the ether yeah. at any given point. 
So, but, um, you know, you just you see all that and you want to just take take at least just two hours out of your day and just to not think about that. Jesus, Steve, I want to give you a hug right now. <laughs> yeah. Or you're just like, hey, man, I just I, I work with stressful. I just want to turn off my brain for two hours mm-hmm. um, is how I, I would <laughs> phrase mm-hmm. it. I, it's funny. I'm I, for once. I'm not. I'm not the fatalist cynic in in the uh, in the conversation. It's refreshing. I was just giving it. Well, I was just giving examples. Yeah, you know? no, this is like give me some shit. <laughs> um, yeah, no, like to be able to put a person at such ease that they forget about their worries and their concerns mm-hmm. for two hours is an immense power to have over somebody and. It's no coincidence that movies like Star Wars and Marvel movies, which by all accounts are escapist films and escapist mm. art, oh, um, absolutely. are so popular and they have such a powerful, vigilant following. And it's because um, for many, many people, myself included, like not so much Star Wars anymore, but the Marvel movies, um, I can watch it, I can turn off my brain and I can just smile and enjoy myself and get on with my life two or three hours later and like feel kind of emotionally refreshed yeah you know it's, um, it's like a palate cleanser you know it's a it's a great way to just kind of end the day if or you know if you're just working a lot and you just need a break from things and you right. just need to just turn your brain off for a little bit and, and even like infinity war that ends on this like sour note um you don't go to that movie alone you go to that movie with people um or you go to that movie and you want to talk about it with people so i mean even if it's even if you're like oh no it ended this way in the back of your mind you're like of course they're going to bring back spider-man and black panther yeah but it also um, motivates you to want to socialize and interact, and um, it gives you a it gives you a reason to socialize and interact um, in a way that your enthusiasm is going to be matched by the people you talk to, like because of the shared experience. And I think that with Marvel and Star Wars films, I feel like that is another thing that, like, it lends to the viewer, it lends to them this shared escapism. Like, the escapism is, is a shared experience that you can kind of, like, revel in with yeah. your friends and stuff. I feel like at the same time, it can also create sort of a uh, a toxic playground, if you will, in certain I think Star scenarios. Wars yeah, I think like, Star Wars has. I think Marvel has been very um, good at keeping a pretty good balance i mean you could yeah they had diversity issues um initially but everyone else did as well it's not to excuse it but it's just to just to acknowledge that it it is a problem industry-wide they weren't exactly limited to it and i would say that they have gone to pretty good pretty good lengths they can always do a little bit better but yeah yeah um, they've definitely made improvements over what the last 10 years yeah and like like shang chi is gonna be directed by an asian filmmaker um sorry an asian um actor um captain marvel had like a male female acting or a directing duo and starring you know a female lead so i mean they're trying and i Mm -hmm. mean 
it's a big evil corporation. Let's, let's all remind ourselves that. So, you know, they're trying, but at the same time, they want our money. It's not like they're, like, trying to, like, be a positive vehicle for social change that's just potentially a byproduct. Like, they want our money. Yeah. Um, let's, let's all step back for a second and have an intellectually honest conversation. The reason why a lot of those trends are happening is because... Um, they see that the consumer interest and the consumer base is shifting for the better. It can yeah, be a right. good thing. It's like the, the right. It can be a good thing, but the change can be born out of cynical reasons at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, the, and I think the good still outweighs the bad. Like I don't, I don't care how it comes about. I'm glad that it comes about, but let's also not act like. Um, we're furthering social cause by going to see a two hundred million dollar movie. You know, we're we're not. Maybe we are, but we're we can do a lot more to promote social cause by working in mentor programs. At the same time, it could also influence individuals Absolutely. seeing that movie to Absolutely. go on and work those mental mentor programs. Yeah, no, but, I, but what I mean is, is um, we need to be weary of being um, social justice passenger seat, like so passengers, oh, passenger yeah. driver, social Absolutely. justice people. Um, is we we. If you want to make change, you have to be the vehicle for the change. You can't sit on the sideline and tell other people to do it. Yeah, or just go on Buying a ticket to a movie, complaining on Facebook. Mm. These aren't things that necessarily hurt. Maybe they do. I I think they're potentially positive, generally positive things, but we can do, you can actually do stuff as well like yeah you can go out and be a contributing member of society right how much like you know let's say you watch three hours of netflix a day let's spend an hour of that netflix like planning some sort of after school program for like little girls or little boys or something you know i mean yeah that's a great way to kind of look at it and yeah like and, and, the, and the, it's, it's a very, and I mean, and I work as like a mentor with like teenagers who want to like make movies and stuff. And so that's yeah. kind of where like I'm putting my, my money where my mouth is in that regard. Um, and that's kind of where, why I also get aggravated when people are like championing, champion, championing, championing corporations is these like vehicles for social change. It's, it's because... No, they're reacting to the consumer's will, and they're 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 shifting like like Nike, for example, with Colin Kaepernick and stuff. That was a financial risk that Nike took, but Nike also saw that you know society is shifting in this direction socially, and they would rather be on the front at the front. They would rather be you know. Um, they saw it as a financial opportunity. Yeah. Um, because why else would they do it? Well, it's like reminding me of like the, the memes I saw of like 
uh, people holding like MasterCard banners at like Pride Fests and stuff like that. It's a really great example. The cor- the corporatization of uh, Pride Fest is, um, and that's something that is problematic too because a lot of the corporations that sponsor Pride Fest, maybe not now, but in the past, have not necessarily been the friendliest people to the to the LGBTQ right. community. And, you know, it's great that they, and, and I'm not complaining that they have turned another cheek, seen the light, but again, yeah, they're this is a tax write-off for you. Mm-hmm. How, how sincere is this? Um, it's really a double-edged sword, you know? Yeah. And, and with this corporate sponsorship. And, and when you have a cause that you are passionate about, that is a positive cause, and I do believe that, like, you know, equality and equity, these are all, like, important things that we need to achieve and that we are inching closer towards, but we still have a lot of ways to go. But we also need to be aware that... Um, it, 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 it's, 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 it's part of pop culture right now. And because it's part of pop culture, it's become a point of um, point of profit for a lot of companies and stuff. And so, you know, at what point are we okay with our social causes, things that we hold dear being profited from? And let's also take a step back and look at the social causes that are probably just as important, like criminal justice system reform, for example. That do, that isn't getting the corporate sponsorship that like, you know, yeah. Nobody really wants to touch that cause right they, because you're advocating for people in jail. You're advocating for criminals. Yeah. Nobody wants to advocate for a criminal. Um, well, in reality, though, if if you understood the criminal justice system, the majority of people who would go through it commit misdemeanors and um, are forced to, like, most of them are like marijuana related misdemeanors and they're forced to plead down to a summary offense, which is basically a $600 fine. So, well, depending on the municipality you get arrested in and anywhere between a 300 and $800 fine. Um, and uh, so it's basically just a way to like help pay the bills. Yeah. And just shake people down to pay the bills. And if you're not able to pay those bills or you don't have a good lawyer, you might end up going to jail as a result. And um, at that point, you're in the system and it's going to be really harder for you to like get a job and stuff like that. And, and, and then we're talking about somebody who like, you know, got busted for weed um, yeah. or somebody who like foolishly got a DUI, made a mistake. Um, yeah, because I, I, I mean, I know people lots who have of people. done that. And, and, we, and we as a society, like, on the one hand, we espouse these, like, Christian values. Um, but on the other hand, like, we really don't want to give people a second chance if they go to jail or go to prison. Granted, some people may not, if you're, like, a murderer or a serial killer, I think, I think you've, like, used up all your chances already. Yeah. But it's... I, I mean, there there are certain cases that it should not be, you know, it, it should be case by case. Right. But there are a lot of people, even people who maybe, maybe you, you did something violent when you were in your 20s. Like, does that mean that you are um, not allowed to, like, learn your lesson? 
Like, you know, does that mean you're not allowed to have a life in your 40s 25 years later? Um, maybe, maybe not, but we don't have, you know, we don't have the advocacy for the for those people the way we do for um, whatever the popular cause is of the day, whether it's the legalization of marijuana or whatever, there, there's always some sort of like, there's a cool cause that's, you know, always existing. Yeah. Um, I remember like a couple years ago, um, there was like the Coney, it was about seven years ago, there was the whole Coney thing. Coney thing. Do you remember Coney? On oh, yeah. Yeah. Like that's a perfect example of like how like nobody knew who the hell this person was, knew who the hell any of this was. They watched a video and everybody started talking about it and it became like a cause for a bunch of people. Yeah, the I remember I was like just coming out of college or something when that thing like that blew up. Right. And yeah, I remember the name now. Yeah. Wasn't it like a like an African dictator or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Okay. But it, but it was one of those things that's like there are so many like and not not to I mean it's really bad. He's a bad dude. But there are like yeah, yeah. so many like bad people. Why are we picking this one in particular? Just this one person. We're, we're just happy to be picking this one because like we it, it's like the trendy hip thing to do and I I just you know um, somebody who's like involved socially and politically I I see it's I see people get manipulated so easily by what they see on TV and by what other people talk about. It's like... Yeah, and they start trending that on, like, social media, and then it just kind of blows up from there. People start sharing it and, you know, passing it along, and then all of a sudden it becomes this big social justice movement to, to right. like, create awareness for this out of, you know, sort and of and thin then, air. And then there becomes a bizarre social pushback. Um Mm -hmm. which is just an inevitable byproduct of like any sort of movement you have like this like counter movement and this pushback yeah. and, and the pushback like sometimes like seems completely born out of like just antagonism um, yeah people people like to argue yeah and it's always been the case for anything and i think social media has just sort of amplified that that argument absolutely that kind of gets i guess to the to the thrust of uh, what we're, we're talking about is like social media takes ideas that we might have been able to have more intellectually honest and um, open conversations about and it turns them into kind of just like contests for the last word yeah like a, like a yeah yeah it's like who who can one up the other person who, who can just like leave the other in their in their dust like I can't tell you how many like political like debates just start in like the oh comment God. sections of like I try I try not to like initialize those types of conversations like that's why I don't really post anything politically like even if it's just remotely like like I remember one one at a certain time a while ago I posted something about you know an article about um you know how co2 was affecting climate change and all this stuff well, right because science yeah and then somebody because, because fucking science dude and then like somebody like immediately commented and said like oh no this is just you know 
it's plant food this you know it's just a bunch of like liberal nonsense so and i'm just like i'm just gonna delete my comment before this turns into a whole shit storm <laughs> just to briefly dispel what that individual is talking about the increase of co2 in the uh atmosphere won't necessarily it will lead to more plant growth but it's not going to lead to the type of plant growth that is conducive to a healthy atmosphere for humans to live in <laughs> it will increase um the growth of things like it increases fast growing plants weeds vines particularly vining things anytime you go to a place where there's a lot of sun and a lot of moisture you should visit one of them sometime <laughs> like such as a jungle you're gonna see vines on everything vines actually kill trees um vining objects can kill trees um a lot of the trees in such environments such as tropical forests have evolved which is another thing that a lot of people don't believe in to not have to worry about vining uh, materials they have a shallow root system which kind of prevents a lot of that stuff but um with uh trees like where we live like uh, was deciduous trees i think is the term okay um you get a lot of ivy growth around those trees they're not going to be able to like absorb the the nutrients they need to to like live so yes co2 is plant food but an increase in co2 doesn't necessarily lead to more trees it leads it's, it's uh, and the other problem with vines is is they don't produce the level of oxygen so they might they, they consume a lot of co2 but they don't produce oxygen the way like a tree so it's basically would. it's creating a sort of a dangerous level of plant growth like not the right kind of plant growth it, you need correct and the other issue is is that um not all trees absorb the same amount of co2 this might be a surprise to people who don't ever actually study science or never paid attention in science class. But <laughs> some trees are much better at converting CO2 to oxygen than others. Um, I believe fir trees, don't quote me on this because I'm just like speaking off the top of my head, but yeah. I believe it's fir trees. They consume an absurd amount of carbon. Um, and so like they really kind of help clean the atmosphere okay um there's a couple other trees uh, like bigger uh trees that do the same thing um but um trees that consume a lot of carbon also put out a lot more carbon into the atmosphere whenever they're burned oh okay because the carbon has to go because we have to remember science <laughs> matter can't be can neither be created nor destroyed it's only converted and displaced and stuff and so yeah the carbon has to go somewhere and so the trees absorb the carbon and they can kind of they kind of just eat it up and they use that carbon because so the tree is a much more if you've ever cut a tree the tree is a much more dense substance than a plant because it's just obvious and, yeah. and you need more carbon to create that density and, and so as a result they absorb more carbon science <laughs> and and yeah and like that shit frustrates me man because it's not it's not like i like have like spent like a million hours like reading books or anything i just paid attention in science class like yeah i just like read my assigned reading and i made 
and like you know and i ask questions about stuff and like when i hear about people like it's like if you, like whenever we talk about like global warming and carbon like i say you know what have you ever heard of the greenhouse effect and they're like yeah it's like yeah yeah that's it yeah <laughs> and it's it's funny because like people i mean there was a what, what the uh the story that i saw um you know the people that try to rap rationalize like that's because global warming doesn't mean necessarily mean like the entire globe is getting warmer that's not although it actually is well yeah yeah but you, you know. i mean like it doesn't mean everything is just getting hotter because of that right not and, all at the same time anyway yeah yeah and and you know but people are like oh well you know it's snowing out so that couple means years, i think feel like we're having like the hottest year on record every year though so i mean yeah it's just like so it is literally getting hot but yeah like s- weather but it's also creating like more extreme weather conditions yeah like weather and climate are different things yeah um and like it's just like people don't seem to understand like because they don't want to research it they don't want to it's it's like they they just kind of want to turn a blind eye to like right you know what this actually is and just create develop their own opinion about it and this is true for anything really yeah it's like you know you you just want to you want the satisfaction of being right or you want the satisfaction of being you know of you know creating this own vision for yourself because you feel you feel warm you feel comfortable inside of it and yeah you know you don't want to you know you you don't want that bubble to burst with you know what is factual what is true right cognitive dissonance is very powerful um like whenever just believing something in the face of like all sorts of contrary empirical evidence and still like remaining steadfast in your belief about something i mean cognitive dissonance is powerful enough to like yeah create religions like create entire like deranged political movements and yeah theological movements um like if you just look over history uh the stuff groups of people believed just to make their lives less complicated um Right. It's like you can sort of create a structure that way, too. Right. Cults are a great example, <laughs> um, like just in a very microcosmic level, because here's somebody who is accepting something that is, by all accounts, completely wrong in every measurable um, way, yet they're accepting it because it's bringing them a level of comfort it's bringing a, a, a sense and feeling of comfort to their lives that might not have existed before, and they will yeah. do anything to hold on to that. I mean, that's like how we get things like the Manson family or, you know... Heaven's Gate. Yeah. Yeah, and, um... But... It, I, I guess that goes back to, like, what we were talking about with movies and just sort of an art... um you can you can tap into people's psyches and you you can i don't know if you i I used to think as an artist when i was younger that you could like wake people up kind of like um make them realize that they were 
it's just cogs in a machine kind of yeah they're not seeing the bigger picture um, but I, i've learned to accept that two-thirds of the people are average or below average intelligence so that's a lot of bad ideas or lack of ideas floating around and a lot of people just don't have any interests and i mean there's a certain comfort and just like being a cog and not having autonomy mm. over yourself like just falling in line with what society says that you need to do you know um there's like lots of obvious examples like you know that like gay people getting married to in heterosexual relationships just because it's like less it's just simpler for them at that time in their lives and from a social standpoint than having to like you know accept reality and yeah or or have to potentially endanger themselves or whatever um it's just easier um and i think a lot of people like you know i used to be like oh everybody everybody's taking the easy road and everything but i get it now it's like dude just yeah the world the world's a scary place and they don't want to complicate their view of things is that what you're kind of no not necessarily like not everybody's wired to just deal with a constant i don't think anybody's wired to like just constantly deal with the stresses external stressors of life and i feel like especially nowadays we're not mentally or physically wired to deal with the world as it is you know i know people who are in their early 20s who are like in like close to a hundred thousand dollars debt okay like, like nobody um is mentally equipped like at some point we as a society like we're, we're not we're not equipped to do these things like i, I feel like we we have anxiety um we have depression in part because of uh the situations we're, we're put in is 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 in part of because of the human condition born of society you know what i mean um take people who have depression and a lot of people are going to have depression no matter what but if you give that person some sort of stability or structure in their life that maybe they're lacking guarantee you a lot of that depression will go away and i think a lot of depression is like born and this is coming from somebody who suffers from depression like yeah a lot of it's born from like these like social perceptions of yourself and um external pressures and things and when you remove those you don't have reason to be depressed anymore and if you do still feel depressed, then clinically, medically, you might need to take some medicine because you, you, right. know, you have an imbalance. But I feel like a lot of people, and I'm not, and it, you know, and I'm not saying that this is wrong or anything, but I think a lot of people end up suffering from depression and anxiety because society is just so difficult to exist in now. Um, I, I think I very much do. Um, no, you have a good point. Like, it's just things have really. I'm and like, I'm not saying everything that has happened in the last, you know, 20 or 30 so years is bad, but it, it's definitely more complicated than it used to be. Right. You know, good, good or bad. It's more complicated. Yeah. It's just more complicated. You know, yeah. it's just more that, you know, more things that you have to kind of be 
you know, aware of. Right. And kind of um, sort of meld that into your 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 routine, your everyday routines or however you're you're kind of taking life. Right. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll use personally an example for me. Social media is like this, like I have, it's a great source of like stress and anxiety and depression for me because, um, first of all, I need it for, uh, like professional reasons, um, networking and stuff. Second of all, I enjoy just kind of like, I just enjoy what it, what it brings. I, I enjoy elements of social media, but also it creates depression in me in that um we we curate our social media presence you know we we curate who we are on on social media and um i think i i am guilty of this and i think other people are as well like i see um how people live in social media and i can't help but think that's you know, I don't know them personally. I don't know them well enough to know the in-betweens as to what they're not posting on social media. So they're painting such a nice picture of their lives on social media. Yeah. And um, it makes me then wonder, you know, well, why isn't my life so happy like theirs is on social media? While in reality, they're surely going through just similar difficulties as I am, but they're, um, you know, only... They're curating it in a way that, you know, I only see the certain things. And I think that's a lot of social media is just curation of, you know, these moments. Yeah. Yeah. And and I wish I didn't fall victim to it, but, um, it's definitely something that I know, like it's a constantly is like just bums the hell out of me, especially when I see people on vacations. Oh, like, I'm just like, Oh man, I want to go on a vacation. And then I, and then I go into this spiral about like, oh, you know, going to vac, you can't go on a vacation because you can't afford one, and you get like real down on yourself and stuff. Mm. And um, oh man, it becomes like just a thing, or uh, like relationships, seeing people in really happy relationships, like sometimes upsets me. <laughs> but yeah, I know, no, that's that's uh, honestly, I fall into that trap all the yeah, time. Yeah, and um, and I have to remind myself that these relationships aren't always happy, and that. If they yeah. are happy, they were they were every, earned. It every, wasn't right, and every relationship has its difficulties. You know, there's definitely yeah. stuff that goes on behind the scenes that you're not seeing. But there's, you know, at the same time, it's like, you know, it it's, it works for them for a reason. Right, and um, and yeah, and it, it's funny, like you um, like like I I use that as a really good example because I think social media. Um, is a source of anxiety and depression that um, we as a generation and as a society aren't equipped to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, we were never taught. So, so like growing up, you're taught how to interact with people. You're taught to share. You're, you're taught to say please. Um, you're never taught how to interact with people online. Um, and, and as a result, I don't we, we don't really get it. We, we, we're still figuring it out, you know. I think, like, people who, like, are growing up in, like, the Gen Z kind of, you know, group will probably have a better understanding, honestly. 
they will or they won't. Either they will or social interactions will continue to um, degenerate. You think so? Um, Even with, like, this technology being more integrated at that point and, like, sort of, like, you know, as as people who have grown up with this technology are becoming parents and they're teaching their children how... So, I think I think it's all about your matter of opinion. Do you think playing video games with somebody online that you're never going to meet in person brings people together or pulls people apart. Mm. Um, and I think like that, that's like the fundamental question. I think it's a good way to bring people together. But I think like that unto itself doesn't bring people together. I think, I think it's a resource that you can use to bring people together. Um, but like playing video games with somebody like in the other room or next to you is a distinctly different experience than playing video games. Yeah, you're right. PlayStation Network, even playing with friends who you're friends with in real life is distinctly different than just playing with strangers. Because it's um, like, I mean, I understand like, like it's like, well, 90% of the time you're never going to meet those people outside of like, right. You know, even if you, you play with like, I used to play this game back in the day called tribes. Um, and we had a team, um, that we kind of put together. Um, and then we would like host practices with like the same people on our teams and stuff like that and prepare for like skirmishes and like, you know, games like that. But it's like, none of that really matters after like when, when you log off, right. none of it really mattered. Because, right. And then like later, later on, it's like, well, you know, you know, you, these people just disappear you know, out right. of the blue because they just got get tired of playing the game, and it's yeah, like, well, all that time you dedicated right. into like playing together, what does that really account for in the end? Right, and and I feel like um, you can extrapolate that to like social interactions on forums and um, like in in social media to at least some extent. Yeah. Um, Maybe less so with like Facebook because that's kind of. But then again, Facebook's like mostly used by older people. Um, it's not like a young person's app the way it was fifteen years ago. Funny how people get old. But um, huh. what are you calling us old now? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you said like the app has grown with the people that have been using it. Yeah, and and people. So I mean, whenever it first started, you have to ha- you had to have had a college email like oh right because it was like, like college based right and i was in college when it started and um now like my my students personally they might have a facebook but they don't really use it too often um like the students i work with like because i i ask them you know like I'm always trying to figure out, you know, where to get content out and everything like that. And so I'm always like asking them, you know, what, what apps do you guys use? Like what, yeah, what is, is, is they'll like say, oh, well, this isn't cool. This isn't cool. This isn't cool. And I was like, well, what is cool? You know? And it's always something I've never heard of before, obviously. But, um, I think they're, yeah. Like, like if the, you, you combine, having a lot of social interaction with people that isn't face to face 
with the idea that like a lot of kids are being raised to have little to no unstructured time like all their time is, is very structured by the parents um i don't know how well that is going to lead to you know better socialization um maybe it will you know i, I don't know I, i'm not going to be one of those people who who says well i was raised this way and that obviously is the right way because i'm not fucked up because i am fucked up but i would but i i, I don't know I, I don't know if that has anything to do with how i was raised or not <laughs> i mean everyone has their you know, own experiences or they take it their own way obviously. Right. so you know you either follow in the footsteps of your parents and do what they did or you completely rebel against that idea and form your own you know your own idea of how you want to lay out your future right or well in this case your your kid's future or your kid's future yeah Yeah. and and i think a lot of it too is is you want to protect we instinctively want to protect the ones we love from pain um but part of becoming, part of growing and becoming an adult is getting hurt mm. and just kind of experiencing that pain and understanding why you feel that way and the right way and the wrong way to react to that pain. And I feel like um, you you really can't deny a person it's 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 not fair to deny a person that experience as much as you might want to hide shield them from it you know what i mean yeah um and so so there's sort of a sort of a constant balance plus i personally think um this is a personal thing I, i think um i think we just need to let let kids kind of just be kids not a lot of let let them make mistakes you know um i know my parents they try to guard me from things but they also let me make mistakes and i'm grateful that they let me make those mistakes and right as much as it sucked at the time um i think i'm a much more compassionate empathetic person as a result i can come from a place of actual understanding rather than just from a place of like trying to commiserate um i think for me personally that definitely it helps for for me personally to be the third child in the family because it's like at that point the you know the the the, my parents kind of loosen the reins a little bit because they know a lot of the mistakes already yeah they they know what to expect so You know, it, it gave me a chance to really grow in a way that may, maybe my my older brothers didn't. You know, yeah. So and kind of like, you know, map that out in 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 my own respect. Well, it's funny you say that because I was I was the first child, and I feel like I I was raised in, in my dad and mom. They weren't divorced, but they didn't live together for a big chunk of my childhood. Because my dad was teaching in NIU, and my mom was teaching. Um, in Pittsburgh, and okay. um, so depending on who I was staying with, I was being raised very differently. Yeah. Um, my dad grew up in the city, and he moved to the country, but that like sort of leave the house and don't come back until it's dark mentality 
um, continued on when he lived in the suburbs. And he didn't have quite that mentality with me, but I was still, like, eight years old, nine years old, and, like, wandering around, like, a college campus alone, just kind of, like, <laughs> doing whatever. And there was never any fear, like... He trusted that I wasn't going to, like, get in the car with somebody, because I wasn't. Um, he trusted that I was going to come back at a certain time, and I did. Um, he just trusted I wasn't going to do anything, you know, dumb, and I didn't. Um, and so, like, but it was very much like, you couldn't do that now, man. People no. would be like, what the hell's wrong with you? You're just letting your kid wander around? And maybe other kids... I was a really well-behaved little kid. Uh, you could talk to me like an adult, and I and I could actually talk to you, at least on some level. I had no life experiences, but I could at least articulate ideas and thoughts and right. ask, ask questions. Um, I wasn't I wasn't a little shithead as a kid. That wasn't until later in life. Yeah. But um, my mom, on the other hand, grew up in a very protective household, in part because she was a woman and growing up in the fifties and early 60s and so you know it was a very old-fashioned household in that regard and but also just from a social upbringing they're just like you know much more afraid of the world and so um yeah i didn't i didn't have those uh i didn't have quite the uh the the loose uh loose chain with my mom that i did with my dad but my point is that um, I, I'm grateful for that opportunity to, like, kind of be able to, like, you know, not have this constantly structured, yeah, like, playtime. Not, not be forced to be friends with people I didn't want to be friends with. Um, I was allowed to kind of go off on my own and be creative and use my imagination and stuff. And I feel like that very much helped me become an artist um professionally and um what you know we we talk about experiences and you 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 make your judgments based off of experiences like what kind of judgments can you make if you don't have if you're not allowed to have experiences when it comes to like you know taking risks and right you know and and it's one of those things because at the same time I don't want to encourage kids to like blow stuff up and stuff but I know like as a little kid I blew a ton of shit up and like I played with fireworks and did all that stuff yeah and you kind of you learn good or bad from those kind of experiences like I learned that a big tube television actually explodes when you hit it with a baseball bat properly (laughs) and and on the one hand, I don't want to, like, say kids should have those experiences because those are, like, I'm basically saying kids should be in danger. <laughs> but on the other hand, like, doing dangerous stuff can be really fun, especially as a boy. Yeah, like, I mean, that's... Sometimes we would just throw rocks at each other. I've definitely done some some dangerous stuff. Um, we, we Like, we would... So my parents like had an apple tree. We would just like full size apples. We would just throw apples at each other. Like just heave apples at one another and try and throw it so hard that it would explode on contact. Like, you know, good stuff. Fun stuff. 
um, stuff that you know you have to experience as a boy but as a grown man it's gonna hurt too bad it's just gonna hurt so bad that you're just like no don't hit me with the apple please don't but as a kid you're like ah, 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 ah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you kind of like taking away from that then I don't fucking know <laughs> people, I mean, should, people should be allowed to have fun yeah as long as they're not hurting anyone that's the key well even as a kid if it's just a bruise whatever I mean I think honestly to t- the takeaway might be like I mean that that's just a learning experience as a whole for just life in general. Yeah, no, that's very that's the yeah. I and think just you can't just live in a sheltered structure and right f- f- experience the full potential of like you know what what life has to offer. And sometimes you just have to take those risks or you know experience these things like such as you know experiencing pain of getting hit by an object or you know right. like putting yourself in harm's way to yeah see something from a perspective you never would have seen before right i mean even it's like silly things like even if it's like playing contact sports um you know um we know the risks of contact sports so so it's it's one of those things you can't say i don't know the risks of it but um just because you know the risks of it and just because there are risks of it doesn't mean you shouldn't necessarily not do it if it's something that you enjoy doing. Right. Um, take the right precautions, but still enjoy yourself. Like, a lot of things that we do on a day-to-day basis are inherently very, very dangerous, like driving. That's um, true. Yeah. And, and, and like, um, and we do it without without thinking. Or cooking, we do, we cook a whole bunch without thinking, and it's like pan that's four hundred degrees, oil in it. You know, you could you could fuck your day up with that, but like you don't think twice about it because you're like, I'm making a steak, yeah, or whatever. I mean, I I dropped a knife on my toe once, and I didn't even think about that before. Like the you know repercussions of using a knife to like. How did your? Yeah, I guess you still have your toe. Yeah. Well, it was uh That's good it's, i wasn't like wearing any like i was in my bare feet when i did it too like, oh yeah it was the worst yeah yeah well, i mean you're you're lucky it was probably a dull knife yeah it was it was a pretty dull knife so i um, i am extremely lucky <laughs> yeah dude no i i have a knife that i used to like cut like i used for my, it's my chef's knife that thing is like so sharp that you can like you can take like you can take like a piece of cardboard or like you can take some like you can take a piece of fruit like an orange even and you can just slide it right across yeah luckily none of my cutlery is <laughs> like that and it's probably for the best too because I, I would probably clumsily end up like chopping my thumb off or something well if you learn proper knife technique you never have to worry about that yeah, you, you, you hold you hold it in a way where um it just can't it just physically can't happen yeah i I have not learned that in in my experiences of cooking but i haven't really had to like worry about that at any point so maybe someday i have a question for you yeah so 
there was something I wanted to bring up earlier that we that we didn't necessarily get to that I figured I might get to as well. But um, what are your thoughts on CrossFit? CrossFit, I don't know because I don't I don't really think about it that much. Okay, I mean I just know people like to talk about it a lot. Yeah, well, it's and, like the uh, vegetarianism of exercise. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just like people. Like I, it, it's it's almost like as we discussed before, it's almost like its own cult. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. <laughs> so um, yeah, I just brought this up because I have this great idea for like I think it's a, like a business model. So it's a moving company. Okay. But it's also a CrossFit gym. <laughs> okay. So. How does that work exactly? So. I own the truck. I have the driver for the truck. Let's say you have somebody, you're, you're going to move. You need some stuff moved. You come to me and you say, I need some stuff moved. And I'm like, you know what? I got you. I'm going to move this stuff for you. Then I go to people and I'm like, do you want to, do you, do you need a gym to do your CrossFit? And then they're like, yes. And I'm like, all right, I got you. And then they move your furniture as their exercise. What? And then they pay me to move your furniture, and then you pay me to have them move your furniture. So everybody pays me, and everybody's happy. It's a win-win-win. What makes CrossFit CrossFit? So it's – I don't know, but I just know that it's like running around and moving things. So it would be like – like, like you, having you, a moving company. <laughs> so, like, do you remember Batman versus Superman? Do you remember that killer workout montage with Ben Affleck where he just takes a tire and he's like, and he throws the tire? Yeah. That's CrossFit. No, like, legitimately, what, what he was doing was CrossFit. All right. And he's, like, dragging a tire with a chain. He's like, Rah! Hasn't that, like, always been a thing, though, for, like, exercise? Yeah, Like, like extreme yeah. exercise? So, so, how so it- CrossFit is how people exercise in the old-timey era. Like... Okay. I'm so... Like, I'm surprised. There probably... There's probably a CrossFit gym in Australia where you can box a kangaroo, for God's sakes. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm joking. No, there probably is. I mean, if, if you're allowed to box a kangaroo, I can guarantee there is one. I know at one point that was a thing, boxing kangaroos. Like, what a time to be, have been alive. Where, like, like, there was a person who, who put money or put food on his family's table by, get, by fist fighting a kangaroo. Just, just let that information process and gestate for a moment. That's... That's beautiful. Can we like, can we turn that into a movie? Like, has that been done yet? I don't know how you can get it to look good. Like, I mean, they tried. They did Kangaroo Jack. I feel like that was such a, uh, such a bomb that the Kangaroo movies are forever. (laughs) It's gonna, it's gonna take like a Pirates of Pirates of the Caribbean type effort to uh, bring Kangaroo movies back into the forefront again. And Lord knows we definitely can't get Johnny Depp to help do it. So. I don't know. Maybe we can get Ryan Gosling or Chris Hemsworth or somebody. Chris Hemsworth, there you go. Yeah, because he is Australian. And then, and then his brothers just, can play the kangaroo. Just get all the Hemsworths. What's the third Hemsworth? That's like I don't in, know. He's the other guy. The other Hemsworth. He was in 
Is he in Westworld? I thought he was in Westworld. I think he is. He's not nearly as handsome as the other two. Like, the other two are, like, obnoxiously handsome. Yeah, but Especially he's, Especially like... Chris. Like, Chris is, like, unfairly handsome. <laughs> it's like, dude, you're, like, 40, man. You're, like, almost 40, and you're... You're, you, you're built the way, like, drawings of gods are built. Yeah. And it's ironic that he plays a god. And he's, he won't, yeah, and he seems like a genuinely nice guy. And every, by all accounts, yeah. people I've talked to who've worked with him said he was, like, awesome. And seems to be funny. And it's just like, ah, oh, fuck off. <laughs> he's in I'm the... sure he's had difficulties at somewhere along the lines. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> and if he hasn't, he probably will. As we all do. Yeah, I'm sure it just he's he does a better job of hiding it if he has difficulties. Right. right. Well, I mean, it's probably easy to hide. It's easy to hide the down notes in your life when you look like a god and you play one in in one of some of the biggest grossing movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's true. So. I mean, I guess the inverse would be like like uh, like Gerard Butler. He's just like he's just like his his claim to fame is just playing an American dude named Mike. A, yeah, what movie. is with that string of movies that he's just like I don't know. He was doing good for a while. Like some of the roles that he was doing were like was he though, or were the movies just good? Yeah, maybe the movies were just good. I don't know. I'm thinking of like 300 or something. Like, was yeah, that a good movie? Not, yeah. When's the last time you've watched 300? I was like 15 or something when I watched yeah. it. So, dude, watch it again as like a modern, more woke person. Holy shit, it's a racist movie for one. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Um, but it's also just like really... You realize like how problematic a lot of stuff that like Frank Miller... <laughs> It's made. I think it's Frank Miller, right? Yeah, Frank Miller wrote the the comic, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just it's 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 very aggro, dude. You can see the uh, you can see the seeds of like the Zack Snyder cut crowd like being planted. Um, and also, if that movie wasn't successful, we wouldn't would have never had Man of Steel. So I blame that movie directly for Man of Steel. Which I never had a, that much of an issue with Man of Steel. I mean, what about like the the forty five minutes of murder where where Superman doesn't really care that all the people in Metropolis are getting murdered? I mean, yeah. I mean, there's there's he doesn't really want to help as, anybody, even though he's Superman. I mean, I guess if you compare it to the source material... No, I'm just comparing him to Superman. He's Superman. <laughs> I can't even remember, because it's been so long that I watched that film. What led him to like not want to, to help? Because nobody understood. So he was just like, yeah, I'm just going to let people know. Nobody understands me. Nobody appreciates me. So you're saying if you're Superman and you're just like... You're feeling de- down, depressed that nobody understands you... You know, you're not just gonna just brush off any a bunch of people dying and stuff. Right. So I mean, so the problem with Superman, I think, is that um, he's it's a power fantasy. It's like a little kid power fantasy. You know, um, 
you you relate to Superman because he can do anything and everything. Yeah. Um, but that's not a source of conflict at all in any way, shape, or form. Um, he, he's not a character that creates conflict. Yeah, um, he's, he doesn't have flaws to right. some degree. And by creating flaws in him, you're going against what makes him Superman. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's just problematic source material to adapt in the first place. Like, you can't, you can't adapt it and have it be self-serious. It has to be, like... It would have been much better if they took the tone of, like, the Shazam... You know, like like a tone like that, where it's almost like um, there's like a humorous element, or it's at least self-reflective. Whereas, um, you know, the film is very serious, and it's like this is, this is like this is like a god man, and you're you're putting it in like a real life world. Like, yeah, it's gonna create a lot of conflict. I don't. It's, it's like not, it's not gonna be Superman, but. It, it, yeah, and, and, and then when they created Batman for it, the the contrast between the characters was like non-existent because both of them were like brooding, yeah, just like dark murderers. characters, and it's not like you know. I feel like Batman of all like comic book characters has really evolved through the ages, though. Definitely, like just. Yeah, Batman is very much like what you I think want to make of Batman. Like uh like I know um like I was kind of a big fan of the um Ben Affleck Batman just because I like that they used like post death in a family Batman. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. like he was like unhinged and he was like and I like that older, experienced Batman. Like you're not just starting off with like the Batman that's like right. just getting into it. It's like he's he's been in this game for a while, right? But at the same time, like they don't spend any time explaining why he hates Superman so much. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's, that's one of those issues of like, you know. And, and then it's like, oh, well, our moms have the same name. Well, all right, I guess I guess we're cool now. It's like you can't just. Like, I mean, I I feel like the it was just the at least the Snyder cut. <laughs> you know. Don't don't release the Snyder cut. I don't care. I wouldn't mind seeing the Snyder cut. I just want to see what his vision was. It doesn't was. exist. So hasn't he like teased it though? A lot of people have also said it doesn't exist. I think they just like. <laughs> I think they just do it to fuck with people. I mean, I probably would. I think Zack Snyder is just misunderstood in some respect. I think he's an objectivist. Yeah. Like, he's a big Ayn Rand person. It's kind of like a... I'm good on my objectivist philosophy. Okay. It's the the underappreciated genius. I'm I'm good, dude. (laughs) You were given gifts. Be greater than other people. Don't, 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 don't pull that misunderstood card. Just fucking, just fucking be a genius and stop being a bitch about it. <laughs> Besides, like, what of Ayn Rand's books are really stupid. They suck. Really? There's this, this fucking Atlas Shrugged, I think. There's like, I don't even know how fucking long this, this, 
There's a soliloquy that is like double digit pages, if not triple digit pages. Just and like a quote from just from just this person talking goes on for that long. Atlas shrugged. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like if you're a writer, you, 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 you just if you if you're assaulting me with that much exposition, then then fuck you. <laughs> Do better. <laughs> Show don't tell, motherfucker. But that book comes up on like so many reading lists, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's almost as if people just read whatever the fuck they're told. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, Mind Kampf comes true. up on a lot of reading lists too. Who? Mind Kampf. Oh, Mind Kampf. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean it's. You should like. You can read it. I, I I wouldn't necessarily consider it like something, some philosophy to follow. I, it, it's pretty, it's it's the writings of a deranged madman, but um. Yeah, right. It's so a thing. It's like... I read it back when I was in um. Oh, did you? It was like a freshman in college or senior in high school, and it was. Now did did I didn't read all of it? I re I read part of it and. Now, was there a reasoning behind, like, could you see the reasoning behind, um, like, the actions of Hitler? No, he's an idiot. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, he's, he's an asshole. Um, all Nazis are assholes. In fact, well, yeah. when we were talking about, like, posting stuff on social media um, with political stuff, like, I refrain unless it involves, like, Nazis in which, I mean, I'm sorry, my grandfather and my grandparents, they, like, fought World War II to, like, defeat the Nazis. Like, there's nothing more un-American. There's, there's no greater enemy to democracy and free thought than Did you, um, Nazis. And I, the, the very fact that they're, like... It's, it's politically questionable to, like, say that, you know, like, the very fact that the, it's considered a risk to, like, just say Nazis are bad, it just disgusts me. I don't know. Did you hear about? So I assume you followed that story about what was that? That Paul, that Nazi politician that was oh, like God, trying to run. Um, the one in Illinois, I think. Um, I missed that I one. I can't remember. I've thankfully name. been too busy to be upset. Oh my find God. Out about the you, shit to get upset about. If you get, just look up Illinois like Nazi politician and just like look at like one of the interviews he did for like CNN or something. It is just so cringeworthy because he just like he's so bashfully just. You know, unapologetic about his views and yeah. things like you know, he th you know he's like oh the you know trying to reason why you know reason that you know the uh, you know the Holocaust didn't happen or you know yeah the, like we can't accept those people in our society um, you know and he's running for as a politician people are actually supporting this guy and it's like yeah and, and how it, can you justify you, that? you can't I'm all I'm all for free speech, free thought, and I guess the byproduct, the the negative byproduct, the the shit of that, <laughs> if you would, is um people like that, like human garbage like that. Human garbage that traffic in just backwards and grotesque ideas, but it, it, at the same time, um I, I think the easiest thing to do is to just call them out on it and just say, you know, I, I think the only thing we can do is to, is to like call people out who espouse those philosophies 
and just say you're wrong you know um yeah because you can't you can't just sit by and do nothing right um, or else you're just gonna let it grow right um and but yeah like i don't know it, it like i said like my grandparents great aunts most of most of like the ent- an entire generation of my family like went to war to fight nazis and i find it really interesting that like that philosophy has oxygen because um i wonder how much of it has to do with the fact that like the greatest generation you know the people who went to world war ii most of them are dead now i can't help but wonder like if there's some sort of correlation because um those people wouldn't be putting up with that shit right i mean absolutely um but, but on the flip side, a lot of those people who are agreeing with that are, like, old baby boomers whose parents went to fight in World War II. So it's like, I don't fucking know. Cognitive dissonance. You know? You, you, you'll you'll agree with whatever you want just to... Just, just to, A lot of times I think people take political views and take political positions just so they can disagree with the other side. Um, I mean, that makes sense. You know, people just like to, it goes back to what I said before is people, sometimes people just like to argue. They like that, you know, the the feeling of like being able to sort of create this opposing input. Right. I think outrage is very popular now too. I think it's very popular and trendy to be outraged over things in society. Um, Yeah. Big things, little things, I, I think outrage and having a sense of outrage has never been more popular than it is right now um mhm i mean you, one of the i mean what's what's the big topic now that uh because of that mass shooting people are they're, they're trying to pin politicians are trying to pinpoint it to like violent video games or something I mean, like that so they're trying to create tired argument well yeah it is because i remember when that was still an argument when i was growing up and like years ago in we Columbine, had that was just, like people like bullshit. oh who was that politician who was like an advocate for it like al gore's wife tipper gore was like real into uh she was into like having like the music rating system yeah uh, bob dole was against violent video games for a while there was a everybody yeah but there was a a politician who was just that's all he ever talked about i can't remember his name now that's so tired but he became like a kind of a meme like a rolling like a ongoing meme because of just how he like wouldn't give up the argument how sad how sad it is yeah it's just like yeah i mean you can't blame any one thing for the act. I mean, ultimately... Right. I mean, we've had violent movies for, like, how long now, but... Violent violent entertainment has existed as long as entertainment has. Yeah. Um, but so. the Bible is filled with violence. True. That's just, you know, you can go you can go to church and get as much violence as you would. The Old just Testament like... is violent as fuck. <laughs> um, mythology, ancient Greek mythology... Like they're like eating people, and there's like murder, like constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like part of like Beowulf, like these like great oral tales that were told like over like hundreds of years as tr- as an oral tradition. All of them are just 
filled, chock full of violence. So, oh yeah, like, I remember re- reading like the Iliad and just seeing it, like right. how violent that is. Right. Like, you know, that's none of that stuff is any more violent than like the movies and video games we play now. Yeah. Um, and how it was delivered at the time was considered edgy for its time too. So I mean, we can't. It's, it's just you know, it's it's it's. We, we as a society, um, that goes back to what I was saying, where I think we are kind of at a breaking point in society where we're not really able to, um, able to cope and function with the demands of society on a day-to-day basis. I don't think we're equipped to. Yeah. I think, I think it's breaking people's minds. Um, I don't know. It's all I can, that's all I can guess. It's easy to point to stuff, but none of that. All that's all those things existed prior. Yeah, it's just. And I mean, I don't even know if you can point to guns as the sole reason, because guns exist in other. Other countries, Switzerland, everybody has a gun. They the laws are different. The way they treat the guns are different. But, um, there are other countries with guns that don't have, the issues that we have. Um, I mean, you could do things when it comes to availability, maybe. But I think there's. I think it's just. There's a lot of issues in play that kind of. Yeah. And the result is the from a culmination of things. Yeah, it's not just one thing. Like if you cut this out, right, that's gonna solve the whole problem. Right. Right. And yeah, no, exactly. There's like no one. Th- there's no one solution. It, it's a very. It, it's it's a symptom of a sick, sick society. It's it's not just something that can be cured. Yeah. Um. Well, on a lighter note. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you want to talk about? I guess as we kind of wrap this up, because we're yeah. like two hours deep. Yeah. Um. I'm hungry. You want to get something to eat after this? I already ate earlier. I want to get something to eat after this. All right. And I'm also trying to, like, diet hardcore before I go to the beach. <laughs> oh, well, that's fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was I going to say? No. Later note. Um, yeah, the, the what was it? Did we talk about the 48 that we worked on? I don't know if we wanted to talk about that at all. Not really, yeah. We can do a quick plug. So it's called There and Away. Um at least I think that's what it's called. Um, but yeah, we we drew western um, or slapstick comedy, and I hate slapstick comedy, so we made a western. Um, I, I would say it's sort of like a steampunky kind of western. Yeah. Um, I think it was pretty cool. We uh, did some interesting things visually. Um, I think we had a, a great like team in terms of like creating kind of a cool visual um yeah definitely recommend coming and checking it out um it'll be on my youtube page ian alton ball um you can just search my name and my uh channel should come up uh i'll i'm gonna try and have it available by before friday uh of this week so it should be up by before um this podcast is published and um check it out and if you don't like it it's only like six minutes so it's not going to waste that much of your time 
<laughs> and if you do like it, well, let's watch it again. <laughs> Build up those uh, watches and likes yeah. and comment and subscribe. and Comment and share. Like, and comment, share. And share, and subscribe. And, um, uh, you know, do the tweets and um, Instagram and... yeah. Um, do you go on your your dust off your vines or whatever right talk about it i don't or, think they, that exists anymore no that's why yeah. i just kind of brought it up i was just or just comment and tell me i'm a hack but just you know watch the video <laughs> just watch it please ah uh, yeah and uh oh and i was the uh the director of photography on that you were so i got to use my camera which was kind of which was fun it's a good-looking movie, too. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I haven't DP'd on anything since I did the feature film Body Farm, which was a while ago now. So definitely give it your support, and maybe we'll keep making more stuff like this in the future. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you have, to, you have to watch, like, and subscribe and share and, and all those uh, other things you know um put it on your uh your tiktok or whatever the kids are using these days share it on your linkedin profile linkedin yeah, yeah. your um what was the social media your um myspace well myspace but there was something else i was trying to think of i can't remember the name of it now um, what was the blog oh yeah what was the blog before tumblr was a thing was it like um and there was always GeoCities pages. GeoCities. Yeah. GeoCities was a thing, yeah. GeoCities was a thing. I can't remember what did. There's something before Tumblr that was, like, real big. But that was, like, early. Like. Ah, well. But anyway. Whatever. <laughs> Put it on your Pinterest. Pinterest. Pinterest is another good go. one. Um, yeah. You know, Periscope it if you want to. Maybe, like, I'm Periscope open. Periscope about it. Like, maybe, like, make some, like, fan art that you can, like, then post on, like, um some other websites. I don't fucking know. DeviantArt? You got a DeviantArt? Mm, I'd rather, I'd rather no, not. not. not DeviantArt? Yeah, yeah, I'd rather okay. not. Okay, never mind. Um, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that fan <laughs> art. Stay the hell away, you DeviantArt people. Weirdos. It's not all weird art on there. There's actually good art. All right. I, um, I come. I I watched a little. You know. I, I like. I'd love to see your fan art on Behance. Maybe something a little bit classier Behance like that. Yeah. Behance. Yeah. Or um. Yeah, no, we could go on about this forever. Yeah. It just makes um, how can of, like obscure references to like the internet? <laughs> how can uh, people like find out more? I mean, you already just mentioned your YouTube page, but yeah. Uh, so I can be found on Twitter. Um. Ian Alton Ball. Um, I can be found on um, at Ian Alton Ball. I can be found on Instagram at Allegedly Cool. And I can be found on YouTube at Ian Alton Ball as well. Um, that should be more than enough uh, ways to access my work. Um, if not, then I don't know. Sorry. Uh, you can try socking him if you're really that into don't. it. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. I don't have a web page. I will at some point. But really? I thought you I did. Don't. No, it's just too much work. Eh. It really isn't with like the web tools you can get like these days, though. But it's work. Okay. I'm not fair enough. paid for it. <laughs> you can like throw together a um, 
get dust off the GeoCities and make a GeoCities page. So my big thing is, is if I'm building a web page, I'm building it primarily for like graphic design and um, that yeah. kind of work, and like it needs to be really fucking good. You, or, you, or, or like it is true. Or like I'm just not doing myself any favors. Yeah, and if you're gonna do it for like the graphic design aspect of it, you kind of just have to do it from scratch. Yeah, yeah, like you have to build that shit, and I just have no interest. And in if doing you're that. doing that from scratch, well, you sure as hell better know some HTML, CSS, JavaScript, right. shit like that. Or just that. be really good with Dreamweaver. Or that too. Yeah, like I'll build a web page for you, but I, I just have no interest in building my own. Yeah. Because. You'll pay me to build yours, but I'm not going to pay me to build mine. Um, maybe if I have, like, a two-month period of time where I have nothing to do and have enough money saved up, that's when I will hire somebody to do it because I still don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that wraps it up. All right, bye. Yeah, that was a anticlimactic way to end it oh sometimes it's i don't know wait i was gonna say sometimes it's better to burn out than fade away but that doesn't apply That's we just, just kind of faded, faded away. away yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> to sort of wrap up this episode um just be on the lookout for future podcasts uh, we have a couple interviews coming up um, as of uh, as i'm recording this i have interviews scheduled uh, people interested in doing the podcast um, and then we're kind of going to branch out beyond uh, filmmaking i know i've touched on filmmaking a lot but we're definitely definitely going to uh, do some other subjects such as writing. I, I'd really like to do um, graphic design. Music is a big one. Music, I really am trying to get some people on to talk about their music and talk about how music, you know, really influences various aspects of anything, really, how much of an influence music is to our lives. What I really want to do in this like next batch of episodes is really branch out from there and really just get a, a broader picture of the art and media that really influences our lives. Um, so uh, be on the lookout for that in the future. Um, and I will see you the next episode.